Welcome to a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide for July, August and September 2013, titled Revival and Reformation. It's brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Lesson 4 for July 20-26, to Witness and Service, the Fruit of Revival. Sabbath afternoon, July 20. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we open your word again, we're studying a very important topic again this week. How we can relate to other people and how that is part of how revival occurs. As we open your word, we pray that your Holy Spirit will guide us and bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That's Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Let's read it again. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The purpose of revival is to fill our hearts with such a love for Jesus that we long to share this love with every person possible. In genuine revival, our own hearts awaken to God's goodness, compassion, forgiveness and power. We are so charmed by his love and transformed by his grace that we cannot be silent. In contrast, a revival that focuses on one's spiritual experience alone misses the mark. If it develops attitudes critical of others who do not measure up to one's standard of holiness, it is certainly not heaven-inspired. If the emphasis of revival is to merely change external behaviour rather than to change hearts, then something is wrong. Changed hearts lead to changed behaviour. Genuine revival never leads to self-centeredness or especially to self-sufficiency or self-exaltation. Instead, it always leads to a selfless concern for others. When our hearts are renewed by God's grace, we long to bless and serve those who are in need. All genuine revival leads to a renewed emphasis on mission and service. Sunday, July 21, Christ's Parting Commission and Promise Christ did not establish his church in order for it to simply care for itself. Jesus' parting words focused upon the church's mission. Christ's intention is for his church to look beyond itself. He established it to share the light of his love and the message of his salvation with the world. Question. Read and summarize the following texts. How does each passage reveal Jesus' heart desire for his church? First of all, Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Go therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. 
And our second text is Mark chapter 16 and verse 15. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And in Luke 24 verses 45 to 49. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But... Tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And finally, Luke chapter 20 and verse 21. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. Once Christ ascended to heaven, his church was to be a visible manifestation of his love and grace to the world. The disciples had a mission. They had a message to share. They had a task to complete. They were to carry on the work that he had begun. Ellen White writes in the Acts of the Apostles, page 9, The church is God's appointed agency for the salvation of men. It was organized for service, and its mission is to carry the gospel to the world. From the beginning it has been God's plan that through his church shall be reflected to the world his fullness and his sufficiency. The members of the church, those whom he has called out of darkness into his marvellous light, are to show forth his glory. The church is a repository of the riches of the grace of Christ, and through the church will eventually be made manifest, even to the principalities and powers in heavenly places, the final and full display of the love of God, as expressed in Ephesians 3.10. The burden of Jesus' heart is the salvation of the human race. The Apostle Paul wrote to his young friend Timothy that it is the Saviour's desire that all be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, 1 Timothy 2.4. The Apostle Peter adds that the Lord is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. So to finish today, what in your life shows your interest in outreach to others, or does anything show it? What does your answer tell you about yourself and your priorities? Monday, July 22, Receiving the Promise The mission of sharing his love and truth with the entire world must have seemed overwhelming to this small group of disciples. The challenge was enormous, the task immense. Its accomplishment in their lifetime might certainly have seemed impossible, as it can in ours. The best estimates are that the population of the Roman Empire in the first century was approximately 60 to 70 million. According to the first chapter of Acts, 120 believers met in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. 
This is a ratio of one Christian to approximately every 500,000 to 580,000 people in the empire. From a human standpoint, Jesus' command to preach the gospel to the world seemed unthinkable. Question. Read Acts chapter 2. What were the results of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the mission of the early church? Beginning at verse 1 in Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused, because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galilean? And how is it that we hear, each in his own language, in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? Others mocking said, They are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words, for these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants I will pour out my Spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath blood and fire and vapour of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourself also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified, and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope, 
For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God has sworn an oath to him, that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he will raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children, and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about three thousand souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together, and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all, as any one had need. So, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God, and having favour with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved." The results were astounding. The Christian church exploded in growth. Tens of thousands were converted. The message of Jesus' love was carried to the remotest parts of the empire. Pliny the Younger, governor of the Roman province of Bithynia, on the northern coast of modern Turkey, wrote to Emperor Trajan around A.D. 110, Pliny describes the official trials he was conducting to find and execute Christians. Many of every age, of every social class, even of both sexes, are being called to trial and will be called. Not cities alone, but villages in every rural areas have been invaded by the infection of this superstition, Christianity. This quote is remarkable. It reveals that in a few generations, Christianity had invaded nearly every level of society, even in the remote provinces. Ninety years later, around A.D. 200, 
Tertullian, a Roman lawyer turned Christian, wrote a defiant letter to the Roman magistrates defending Christianity. He boasted that nearly all the citizens of all the cities are Christians. The story of the book of Acts is the story of a revived church committed to witness for its Lord. Spiritual revival always leads to passionate witness. Sharing is the natural outgrowth of a transformed life. Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 4.19, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The closer we follow Jesus, the more we care about what he cares about. If we have little interest in sharing his love with others, it may be because we are following him at a distance and need a personal, spiritual revival. Tuesday, July 23, The Power of Personal Testimony Religious ritual has little power to change lives. Religious formalism leaves people spiritually barren. Doctrine alone will not transform hearts. The power of New Testament witnessing was rooted in the genuineness of lives changed by the gospel. The disciples were not play-acting. They were not going through the motions. Theirs was not some form of artificial spirituality. An encounter with the living Christ had changed them, and they could not be silent any longer. Question. What common thread runs through the experiences of Paul and John that make them such powerful witnesses? First of all, Acts chapter 22, verses 1 to 14. Brethren and fathers, hear my defence before you now. And when they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. Then he said, I am indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous toward God as you all are today. I persecuted this way to the death binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. And also the high priest bears me witness, and all the council of the elders, from whom I also received letters to the brethren, and went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. Now it happened, as I journeyed and came near Damascus at about noon, suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid. But they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Arise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all things which are appointed for you to do. And, since I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came into Damascus. Then a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me. And he stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight." 
and at that same hour I looked up at him. Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you, that you should know his will, and see the just one, and hear the voice of his mouth. And now Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh, though I also might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. And then First John chapter 1 and verses 1 to 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life, the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. At Pentecost, the disciples were changed people. Something happened to them so that the Spirit could do something through them. The Holy Spirit had done something for them so that he could do something with them. The Spirit overflowed from their lives to refresh the lives of others. Jesus put it this way, He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. John 7.38 The root word for believes in the Greek here is pistis. It means much more than a superficial belief or mere intellectual assent. It is a rock-solid belief or confident trust. It is a dynamic, life-transforming faith in Christ, who poured out his life on the cross for the sins of humanity. Jesus' point is that when his love quenches our spiritual thirst, this love flows from our hearts to the people around us. In Desire of Ages, page 347, we read, Our confession of his faithfulness is heaven's chosen agency for revealing Christ to the world. We are to acknowledge his grace as made known through the holy men of old. But that which will be most effectual is the testimony of our own experience. We are witnesses for God as we reveal in ourselves the working of a power that is divine. The most powerful witness is one of a Christian who knows Jesus personally. There is no substitute for the testimony that springs naturally from a heart immersed in Jesus' love. So to finish today, what kind of personal testimony do you have that tells of what the Lord has done for you? How can you learn to share it better with others?
Wednesday, July 24. A witnessing faith is a growing faith. Activity is a law of life. In order to be healthy, our bodies need consistent exercise. Every organ, muscle and tissue is strengthened and invigorated through exercise. When we neglect exercise, our immune system is compromised and we become more susceptible to disease. Something similar happens to us spiritually when we do not exercise our faith through witnessing. The words of Jesus that it is more blessed to give than to receive in Acts 20 verse 35 work themselves out in our own spiritual lives. When we share God's word with others, we grow spiritually. The more we love Jesus, the more we will desire to witness of his love. The more we witness of his love, the more we will love him. Sharing our faith strengthens our faith. Question. What does Jesus' miracle of multiplying the loaves and fishes teach us about the sharing of our faith? John chapter 6 verses 1 to 11. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him, because they saw his signs which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, in number about five thousand. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. The more that we give away our faith, the more our faith multiplies. This law of multiplication is a divine principle of spiritual life. Give and grow, or withhold and wither. Jesus increases our faith as we share it with others, even if our faith is quite small. As we share the bread of life with spiritually hungry people around us, Jesus multiplies in our hands, and we end up with more than we started. When Jesus began, he had five loaves and two fish. After 5,000 people were completely satisfied with their meal that day, Jesus had more left over than when he started. There were still 12 baskets remaining. Jesus' instructions to his New Testament church are too clear to be misunderstood. He declared in Matthew 10.8, Freely you have received, freely give. Witnessing is the gentle breeze that fans the spark of revival into Pentecostal flames. When witness and service do not accompany a revival of prayer and Bible study, the flames of revival are extinguished and the embers soon grow cold. So to finish today, it's true, isn't it? The more that we witness, the more our faith grows. What has been your own experience with this crucial spiritual truth?
Thursday, July 25, Revival, Witnessing and Divine Intervention The thrilling story of the rapid growth of New Testament Christianity in Acts is the story of a revived church witnessing of Jesus' love. It is the story of a church that regularly experienced divine intervention. Witnessing was a way of life for these early believers. Daily, in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Acts 5.42 Persecution even furthered the cause of the gospel. When persecution scattered the members of the church at Jerusalem, they, as it says in Acts 8.4, went everywhere preaching the word of God. One of the more remarkable examples of divine intervention in Acts is the story of Philip and an Ethiopian government official. Question. Read the story of Philip instructing the Ethiopian and his response in Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 38. What can we take from this story about revival and witnessing? Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury, and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was standing. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, Go near, and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him, and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah, and said, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I, unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation his justice was taken away, and who will declare his generation, for his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Reading from the Acts of the Apostles, page 109, An angel guided Philip to the one who was seeking for light and who was ready to receive the gospel, and today angels will guide the footsteps of those workers who will allow the Holy Spirit to sanctify their tongues and refine and ennoble their hearts. The angel sent to Philip could himself have done the work for the Ethiopian, but this is not God's way of working. It is his plan that men are to work for their fellow men. There are three essential elements in revival, and they are prayer, the study of God's word, and witnessing. When 
God's people seek Him in earnest, heartfelt intercession, and when they saturate their minds with the truths of His Word, and when they passionately witness of His love and truth to others, God divinely intervenes and opens unusual doors for the proclamation of truth. So to finish today, be honest with yourself. What do you do when witnessing opportunities come? Do you witness, or do you find some excuse not to? What does your answer tell you about your own need of revival and reformation? Friday, July 26. From the book Acts of the Apostles, page 134, Ellen White writes, In his wisdom, the Lord brings those who are seeking for truth into touch with fellow beings who know the truth. It is the plan of heaven that those who have received light shall impart it to those in darkness. Humanity, drawing its efficiency from the great source of wisdom, is made the instrumentality, the working agency, through which the gospel exercises its transforming power on mind and heart. And from the same author, from The Desire of Ages, page 142, God could have reached his object in saving sinners without our aid. But in order for us to develop a character like Christ's, we must share in his work. In order to enter into his joy, the joy of seeing souls redeemed by his sacrifice, we must participate in his labours for their redemption. And that brings us to our five discussion questions for this week. 1. What is the main idea of this week's lesson? Are there changes that God is calling you to make in your life? Do your priorities need to be readjusted in any way? What actions might God be calling you to take? 2. Dwell more on this amazing spiritual truth that the more we witness for our faith, the more our faith grows. Why do you think this is true? Why does this principle make so much sense? 3. How often do you witness for your Jesus? If not a lot, ask yourself, why not? Are you afraid of rejection? If so, think about Jesus and how often he was rejected. If rejection didn't deter him, it shouldn't us. Or, do you fail to witness because you are not sure of what to say? If so, what does that tell you about your need for a deeper walk with the Lord? For, during the week we talked a bit about how religious ritual alone cannot bring about a change of the heart. That is so true. At the same time, What is the place of ritual and tradition in our faith and church? In what ways, if any, can ritual and tradition be of value in revival and reformation? And five, why do we get so much satisfaction from being used by God to reach souls for Him? Now for Inside Story. Zuri's Hope. Zuri, 10, lives in a village in the mountains of central Mexico. The villagers work hard every day. 
but on festival days they put aside work and eat and drink and dance and laugh. But Zuri didn't like the festivals. Often the men would get drunk and would fight. Often someone got hurt. Zuri told his father that how much he hated the noise and fighting and drinking during the festivals. But what can we do? his father asked. We live here. We could go to the Seventh-day Adventist church on festival days, Zuri suggested. They play games and everyone has fun, but no one drinks or gets hurt. It's nice. How do you know that? Zuri's father asked. I've seen them, Zuri said. Zuri didn't tell his father that he had gone to the church and listened to them sing or gone to the river to watch them hold baptisms. Father respected Seventh-day Adventists and gave Zuri permission to attend the Seventh-day Adventist church. The next Sabbath, Zuri went to Sabbath school. He enjoyed the children's program and decided to go every week. He went to weeknight programs too and enjoyed sitting in the front row where he could watch the musicians play their guitars and sing. When the church planned a social, Zuri invited his parents to attend. They went and enjoyed it. Then he invited them to church and they went. They were pleased to see how well church members treated Zuri. One day the pastor announced a baptism. Zuri asked the pastor if he could be baptised. The pastor said that anyone who loves Jesus and wants to follow him can be baptised. Zuri ran home and told his parents what the pastor had said. They gave Zuri permission to be baptised. Zuri studied the Bible with the pastor and learned what God expects his followers to do. Zuri eagerly accepted God's instructions and asked to be baptised. On the day of the baptism, Zuri hurried to the river. Often he had stood on the bank and watched others be baptised. This day, his parents stood on the bank and watched him be baptised. Zuri taught his parents what he had learned about following Christ. A few months later, Zuri stood once more on the river bank to watch his parents be baptised. Today, when the village holds festivals, Zuri's family spends the day with their Seventh-day Adventist church family. They invite others to join them and the church is growing. Our 13th Sabbath offerings have helped to build churches and training camps in central Mexico where more people can learn what it means to join God's family. This week's reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide has been brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Your reader has been Dr. Percy Harold. Remember, God is always faithful.